Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for, for my brother Gordy. Thank you so much for his heart and how you've uniquely positioned him in this place, in this city, in this time in history, in the vineyard, to be someone who understands and interprets your word, and particularly along the lines of what Paul is on about today, freedom and welcome. I pray that you would be speaking those things to his own heart today, that he would be so aware of his freedom and the radical grace that you've extended to him in his life, that he'd be able to communicate it clearly and succinctly according to your Holy Spirit and by your grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanna. Good morning. Just a couple of family uh, news uh, uh, notes for, for a second. Number one, Carolyn is moving to Salt Spring Island uh, this week. And so this will be her last Sunday. She's going to be back visiting us from time to time. So we're going to pray for her at the end of the service today and just bless her. And you've been a real blessing to us, Carolyn. We're going to miss you. But thank you for, yeah. Amen. And secondly, Monica and Gloria are moving, and they began yesterday. It's kind of a, a work in progress. Uh, and so they're moving again. I think another, the next moving day is Wednesday. So I know Gordy and Gang are, are, are kind of doing the, 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 the professional part, but the more helpers they have, the quicker they can get done. So if you can help and you're free Wednesday, uh, please talk to them. All right? All right, let's uh, dive in. Uh, this text that uh, Joanna just read from Galatians, I've been just swimming in all week, immersed in all week, I'm excited. And uh, one of the problems of reading an ancient text from 2,000 years ago is that, is that um, there's no emoticons. Um, if Paul had emoticons, they would have been all over this text, right? Um, it's a very emotional rant that's going on. And can you move it ahead, Pete? Um, yeah, there we go. And, and I, I kind of have the feeling that I get the picture of John Tortorella and the Vancouver Canucks 
uh, and this is this is Paul, and here's the Galatians, and 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 that's kind of the emotion that's going on. It it is not calm city here, folks. Uh, they're worked up, and and John Tortorella, of course, is the new coach of the Canucks, who has now been suspended for 15 days without pay uh, because of a very heated. Uh, incident that occurred last Saturday night where the opposing team, which shall remain nameless for as long as possible, uh, started their fourth line. And the fourth line is all these what you call goons, okay? Now, goons are not paid to score goals. Goons are paid to be tough and to kind of make sure that you don't beat up on their star players. And they, they can skate a little bit. Um, but so the, the home team coach is always advised as to what the, home, what the uh, visitors team's first line and when uh, starting lineup was. And when he saw that, he put on his goons. So you had the fourth line versus the fourth line. And one of the fourth liners for the Canucks was playing his first NHL game. This is so stupid, it's funny. Uh, and he was, his parents and family flew all the way across Canada to watch him in his first NHL game. Well, once the, drop, the puck was dropped, within two seconds there was a line brawl, which means everybody gets into a fight and they were all kicked out of the game. So the guy's first game in the NHL, he's placed two seconds and he's, he's, he's out. So, um, but I, the Lord's a redeemer, and I guess the next game he scored his first NHL goal. <laughs> but... Um, so how is Paul like the Vancouver Canucks? Well, it's interesting because after this happened, the Canucks all rallied to Torts' defense and said he was in our corner. He was sticking up for us. And that's kind of what's happening with Paul. And the, I guess the Vancouver Canucks fans felt the same way because there's a whole free Torts movement that started. There's T-shirts, although the Canucks shut it down. They didn't want you to be making money off Tortorella's face, they said. So, uh, but there, there was kind of this whole, and I wonder if the early church, you know, this was, Joanna, Joanna found this last week, a composite that they've done of what Paul probably looked like. This, Paul, this is after his shipwreck and his stoning, he's 20 years old here. And, uh, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, I think that there, there was a, um, a campaign with the early church to free Paul, uh, because he was always in jail. But it was important to understand why he was in jail. He was in jail for them. He was in jail because he was sticking up for his people. He was sticking up and contending for the gospel. How many know picking your fights is really important in life? My dad, my favorite saying of my father, who loves to listen in by podcast, so bless you, dad, uh, is a bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's just not worth it. Isn't that beautiful prairie wisdom? <laughs> and I, I've, I've, I've taken that wisdom to heart. That, yeah, sometimes you have to fight, but pick them. Pick your fights. Paul was not, a, he, he was not an antagonizer, but he picked his fights. And this was a fight he wasn't going to budge on. And you're going to get fighting language as he works his way through this text today. That he, he, he was saying, I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to back down. There's some things I'll be nice, meek, and mild, but I'm not backing down on this one. What was so important? That he ended up in jail? He ended up shipwrecked? He didn't have to be. He could have he compromised his message. He could have he backed down on the demands that were being made on him that we're going to read about in this passage. He could have done it, all the shipwrecks, the stonings. It was all related to what he was refusing to back down on because he knew that the, getting the gospel right was a matter of life and death. And if he backed down on this, the damage would be unbelievable. It's like taking a, a rocket and sending it towards the moon. And you're only a centimeter off now. But by the time you get to the moon, you're thousands of miles off. He knew the stakes. He knew the danger. And so he, he fought. So what's, what's at stake here? Well, what's at stake was that he had traveled as a missionary to Galatia, which is land of the Gauls. The, they were descendants of the Gaul, pe Gaul people who came from Europe and invaded. And I, I'm not sure what they looked like, 
But the good news had been distorted. And uh, this is one possible idea of what they look like. Uh, and uh, I, I think that they were, they were uh, uh, pretty wild. In fact, this is probably tame. They used to paint their bodies and go into battle naked and stick their tongues out. I'd run too. And, uh, and the, 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 uh, they're, they're pretty wild people. And Paul came and, and shared with them the good news of grace through faith. That you don't need to remove your paint to connect with God. That Jesus comes with that radical embrace right where you are. But there were some Jewish people that were pretty offended by these Gentiles, their eating practices, their wild lifestyle. And they, were, they said to Paul, you know, you can't expect people to change just by grace through faith. We need some rules here. So they tried to make them look like this. Let's make them Jews, right? And Paul said, as, as we read in chapter 1, he wrote to the Galatians, because the Galatians were, were bow, bowing to the pressure. There was a lot of pressure. Most of the persecution in the early parts of the church was from hardline Jews who were in, insisting that the Gentiles become Jews. And, and they were persecuting the faith of Christ. That's what Paul was doing before he became a Christian. And, and they were trying to make them become Jews. And Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, I am stunned. His, his emotion is, is one of shock, but the, it's not anger at them. It's not anger at them. It's, it's more like this grief when someone you love does something really stupid that's hurting themselves. You know, like, uh, it'd be like a, a person that you really love that you respect and admire and they get involved in an affair and they, they leave their wife and their kids and wreck their family and they hurt themselves. It'd be like Hosea, Hosea's wife, Gomer. Remember, she was, a, she was a, uh, probably a prostitute, a very, very uh, uh, immoral woman and he loved her and embraced her and was just this generous, good husband to her and she kept leaving him for abusive lovers. She kept going back to the people that would abuse her. And finally, Hosea has to go out looking for her, and he finds her in a slave market, emaciated. And he buys her back. And it's that kind of grief that Paul feels for the Galatians. They've, he said, you're going back to your abusers. These guys don't, they're not out for your best interest. They're out to hurt you. They're out to enslave you. They don't want you to be free. The, the second issue that was at stake was they, the, the people that were spreading this teaching were undermining the messenger. It's kind of like Neil Young. You know, how many know he's been saying some strong things over the last few weeks? Right? Standing up for First Nations uh, justice and calling for Canada to keep his treaties. And some of his facts are off and information is off. And so what people like to do to discredit a message is to discredit the messenger. So there's, it's been interesting, the attacks on his character. And that's, that's because that if you can undermine the messenger, then the message is, is suspect. And this is what was happening with Paul. And the issue was, is they were saying that Paul was not a real apostle. Now when I say apostle, I mean in the sense of a capital A apostle. Now we, we throw the word around a lot nowadays, but in the early church, there was an understanding, there was a select group who were chosen by Jesus personally as eyewitnesses of his life. And they were entrusted with his message, trained and commissioned. And basically the message that you and I believe is, it, it's, it's, it's their message. We, uh, it, it is their message that we, uh, we believed and we, we shared. And so the early church had an understanding. There was a select few that, that were regarded, as Paul called it in Ephesians 2, as a foundation for the church. They were, the, the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And so these were people that traveled with Jesus in his earthly life and ministry, the, the 12. And of course, um, Paul was not one of those. And so people would say, well, he, 
Paul's a good guy, but he's, he doesn't have the same authority as Peter and John and, and, and James in Jerusalem, who, who is Jesus' half-brother. I mean, how can you get any more authoritative than being Je- not Jesus' half-brother? I mean, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? And some of you have heard me saying this, say this before, but it's, you only, some of you only come once every month, so I have to keep preaching things over and over again until you hear it all. But uh, remember that time where, you know, I was talking about... Barry here, my brother from Campbell River, he understands that. Uh, but but they're, they're all around the table, and, and Jesus is there, and here's James and Joseph, and, and, and uh, Mary says, well, uh, James, would you say grace? And James says, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the food, right? <laughs> so it's that kind of frustration. Uh, but later on, James believed the message and became actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so these are the authorities, these Judaizers were saying. Don't listen to Paul. What's he got to say? And so they were undermining his message. And um, so Paul, in answer, begins to tell his story. He says, listen, I didn't make this gospel up. And he begins to describe his, his life and message, how that he was commissioned from the church in, in Jerusalem which is here, to go up to Damascus. And he, he said, I was the most zealous of all the Jews, and I was a widow maker. I was an orphan maker. I put people in prison. I tortured people. I got them to renounce their faith in Jesus. And I was convinced I was more zealous for the law than anybody else. And I was convinced I was serving Yahweh, the God of Israel. And on the way to, on the way to Damascus, a bright light from heaven hit me, knocked me off my horse, and I heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And can you imagine what it is to serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and all of a sudden come to the realization that you are persecuting the very God you thought you were serving? You're making him suffer. Well, that's what happened to Paul. Devastating. So, of course, he went to Damascus. He was baptized by Ananias. His blinded eyes were healed. So then what happened after that? He went to Dubai. Right, Dean? This, this here is not far from... This is the Arabian Peninsula. And Paul from Damascus spent three years in the desert. And during that time, he didn't talk to any of the apostles. So this is him trying to, to validate his testimony. He says, I went to Damascus. I went out into the desert, and heaven downloaded on me. I got downloaded. Later in Corinthians, he told them, I saw things too wonderful to even say, but he spent the rest of his life trying to. And heaven downloaded him. And what was the crux of what was downloaded on him when he was out in that desert for three years? The crux of the message was this, that through the good News, the Gentiles are now fellow heirs with Israel and partakers of his promise and members of the same body. And they don't have to become Jews to do it. Now for Paul the Jew to... See, it took God three years to get it into his head, right? So when he finally comes back from the desert into Damascus, he's a one-man wrecking crew for the glory of God, and he, they have to get him out of the city lest he get killed, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he privately meets with Peter back in Jerusalem, and it says he spent 15 days. You know, there's just something when somebody stays with you in your house. So he and Peter are under the same roof for 15 days. And what do you think they talked about? I think they talked about Paul's three years in the desert and what the Lord showed him. And isn't it interesting that just shortly after Paul left, guess what happened to Peter? He's in Caesarea, and he sees this vision. A sheet comes down full of lobsters, eggs and bacon, ham, shellfish, non-kosher stuff, and the Lord says to Peter, rise, Peter, and eat. 
And he, being a good kosher Jew, was horrified because God was asking him to do what all his life he believed was wrong. It was sinful. It was an abomination. Right beside all of these other practices that are listed in the, in the Old Testament. And can you imagine the shift that's going on in his head as as he says, Lord, I will never eat what is unclean. And the voice said to him three times, Ooh, I might start jumping. What I have cleansed, don't call unclean. Jesus said in John 15, to you, to me, you are clean through the word. I've spoken to you, not your spiritual disciplines, not all the hoops you have to jump through, not all the, the little kind of... Uh, barriers and, and, and restrictions that you have to work your way through. You are clean. How? Through the word. Through the word that I've spoken to you. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are righteous. You are holy. Without blame. Accepted in the beloved. And you've been given every spiritual Blessing. That means every Holy Spirit given blessing. You've been given it through the word. I have spoken to you. And so we, we need that. Otherwise we spend our whole lives trying to obtain what God says we already have. So Peter gets that vision. What I've cleansed, don't call unclean. And the Lord says to you to, and me today, what I've cleansed, don't call unclean. What I've cleansed. I've been just walking around seeing people. I, I, this, is, this message is, you know, it's really gripping me. I've been walking around the city, and I meet people of all kinds of dilemmas and messes, and, and I hear the Holy Spirit saying, what I've cleansed, don't call unclean. What I've cleansed. This gospel's for everybody. It's for everybody. Right? So Paul then goes on his first missionary journey and goes into Galatia, this region of Galatia, gets stoned, he gets persecuted, he's run out of town, spends time in jail. And I personally believe that the eye injury that he talks about in Galatians was due to the persecution that he suffered. He, probably one of the severest opposition. Well, Philippi was pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know if he, had a, if he had a pecking order of persecution. But his, the download was, I love Ephesians. I, you are no more, he says to the Gentiles. And I, he must be saying it with tongue in cheek. You used, to be called the un, you used to be called the uncircumcision. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been made nigh. By the blood of Christ, you are therefore no more foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So working through this text, let's just take a few minutes and then I, I want to bring this to a conclusion. Paul says that after 14 years of preaching this gospel, he again went to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and he took Titus along. Now what's the significance of that? Actually, you're reversed. It's actually reversed. Timothy got circumcised. Timothy had a Jewish mom. And so Paul, respecting the Jewish culture, circumcised Timothy. But Titus was completely goyam. He was Gentile. What's significance that Paul takes this Gentile right into the heartland of Judaism? And we can only assume that they were putting pressure on Paul back in Antioch to circumcise Titus, and so there's this big controversy, and isn't it interesting how that controversies in the church often happen around people? It had to do with Titus. And Paul said, I'm not giving in. This is what, when he talks about that language, I'm not giving in. He's not talking about he doesn't listen to his opponents. I think it's respectful to listen to your opponents, to understand what they're saying, to, to, 
He's not talking about that, about not being willing to listen. He's talking about an action that they wanted him to take, and he said, I refuse. I refuse to give in for one second because you don't know what's at stake. If we say that we have to circumcise Titus, you have no idea what's at stake. And so that's what he, he came with Barnabas. He said, I met privately with those esteemed leaders. And this, we can assume, was Peter, James, and John. And I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. So right in the heartland of Judaism, Peter, James, John, all the Jewish Christian leaders said, Yeah, Paul, you are right. So he, understand he's, he's making his point, his case to the Galatians. This matter arose, now here's where we come to the heart of the matter, right here. If I don't get anything else done today, this is the critical part. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks. That word infiltrated literally means stealth. They came like smuggled. It's like you know, stealth bombers, you know, you hear about these aircraft that kind of get under the radar. They came in under the radar. They were tricky. And they came in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. Paul's clear about their agenda. They weren't out for our best interest. They're not looking out for us. They're, there's a spirit of control here. And the key to this word spy is in the Greek, it literally means to look down upon, to diminish. In other words... These, these spies came into the Gentiles, came to the Galatians, and, and they looked down on them. They diminished their view of them because of their race, because they were Gentiles, because they weren't in first class like us Jews. So that, that demeaning, diminishing view is always the doorway to legalism. It creates a class system, a caste system, a hierarchy. Uh, a, a group of people who are superior and better than others based on gender. That's where misogyny comes from. Based on race. That's where racism comes from. Based on how much money you have. That's where oppression comes. Based on how smart you are. Based on how old you are. Or how young you are. Or how good looking you are. This this class system. It came in and Paul recognized what it was doing. It was contrary. He was so angry about it because it was contrary to the heart of grace. It was so contrary to the heart of God's radical embrace. And so instead of that radical welcome and embrace, it became one of, oh, how many have ever walked into somebody's house and not felt welcome? How many have heard the term body language? Body language is everything. You know, I'm no, I know sometimes, I'm not condemning you if you were, had to change a diaper when, when somebody arrived. I know that sometimes things happen, you know, the, 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 the soup's burning. Or, but there's something about when somebody wa walks in the door of your house and you open your arms and you welcome them and there's an embrace and they're treated like first class. Did you know that God says through the gospel that you are first class? He created you. Psalm 8 says you were created as a human being for glory. Every one of you were created for glory and for honor. You were created, as one person summed up Psalm 8, for warmth, height, and weight. Warmth is that you were created to be loved unconditionally and embraced by God. You're worthy of that because you're created in His image. You were created for height. You were created for glory. C.S. Lewis says each of us has a weight of glory that is so strong in us that if the shroud was removed of our bodies and we saw the glory, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship each other. And that's the stars we, shining like the stars we were singing about earlier today. That's, that just broke in, didn't it, when we were singing about that? That's our destiny. And thirdly, we're created for weight. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about 
rulership. It says we were created to rule. Did you know that when you, when you serve our kids and make the coffee and do the welcome table and serve in your home group, you're in rulership practice because rulership is serving in the kingdom of God. The king of the universe is the servant of all who came and washed our feet. Height, weight, warmth. We were created for that. And so what legalism comes, and it says, you're less than. And it tries to get you in a place where you start trying to obtain what God says you already have. And what that looks like is legalism, self-righteousness, and then it becomes lust and pride and ambition, trying to get what God says you already have. Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? Satan came to them and said, he questioned God's character. He questioned, said, you'll become like God. Well, they already were like God. They already were in his image. So we did not give in to them for one second. Jesus said, you're clean through the word I've spoken to you. I, I shared a story a few months ago about pimps, how they go into malls and prey on young, young girls. They'll go into a mall and they'll see a pretty young girl sitting there and they'll walk up to the girl and they'll, they'll look at them and they'll say, you're such a beautiful woman. And if she turns to him and looks right in his eyes and smiles and says, thank you, he moves on. But if the girl looks down, can't make eye contact, he says he knows he's got her. They prey on insecurity. They prey on inadequacy. That's how the enemy works. That's how religion tries to grab you and I and put us into slavery. When you believe the lie that you are something less than God says you are. As for those who were held in high esteem, Peter goes on, Paul goes on to say, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They add nothing to my message. <laughs> I love this. What's Paul doing? Is he being disrespectful to Peter and James and John? No. He's just making a point about what his gospel is about. There's no pecking order here. What is the time in the New Testament where Jesus is the happiest? Where it says he's the most joyful. Can you remember where that is? It says Jesus rejoiced. It's, a, it's the closest to saying that he laughed out loud. He said, I thank you, Father, maker of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the, the knowledgeable, but you've revealed them to babies. Why did that make him so happy? Because it's the upside-down kingdom. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, and nothing wrong with giftings, and God uses them, but that's not the basis of your value before God and to us. That's not the basis. That's why James was so PO'd at the church. The rich man come in and, oh, wonderful. You can put your tithe over here. But a poor man would come in and he'd ignore him. That's not the kingdom of God. So, I love, I love David Roos's story. Remember where he talked about how that, his, his church in Basilea said, he said, he had a movie star tell him, he said, this is the only church where uh, a movie star can get up out of his seat to go to the bathroom, and when he gets back, a homeless guy is taking his seat. That's, yeah, right? That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. So Paul goes, now there's some tongue-in-cheek going on here, I have to say. I think, I think this was, I, I, I just have to say this. I'll have to take two minutes to say this, but it's just so good. On the contrary, they recognize that I've been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So we started two denominations, circumcised and the uncircumcised. How do you know if you're in? Okay, boys, drop your drawers. Verse 8. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, these esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace that was given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Keep seeing that back and forth. I'm, I'm convinced that Paul was just playing with their heads. Well, he's a circumcised himself. Yeah, that's right. He's playing with them. He's playing with them. Because he says in Galatians, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision 
nurse uncertainty means anything but faith working by love. Right? And then, all they ask that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. So Paul says, listen guys, God downloaded on me. He downloaded on me. So I want you to know that I received this gospel personally from Jesus, but I didn't walk around independent of everybody saying, screw you, I'm going to preach what I want to preach. He went and he checked in. So, you know, this whole thing of, you know, God told me, reminds me of the guy that walked into the psych ward and he meets this guy and he says, hi, what's your name? And the guy says, Napoleon. He says, oh, Napoleon, eh? He says, who told you that? And he says, God did. And there's a voice comes out of the corner and says, I did not! <laughs> right? So we're, we're, not, we're not talking about some kind of independent, oh yeah, I've got a line in on God here. We do check in with each other, and Paul models that in this passage. But as a peer, not as their hierarchy of authority and structure. But they say to him at the end, listen, the gospel is our authority. The story is our authority. How will we live, and we're going to talk about this more next week, how do we live in line with the truth of the good news? And they said, they asked that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Now, why did they say that? Well, they were saying, Paul, put your, put your money where your mouth is because you want to preach this message, it's costly. Because of this message, Jewish people are being... Did you know they had burial services where a family would get together and they would regard a person who'd given their life to Christ as dead? We will have no more dealings with you. You do not belong to our family. So becoming a follower of Jesus meant you could become a widow, you could become an orphan, you could become disenfranchised, you could lose your job. It was costly. It was very costly for Jewish people to follow Christ. And so they said to Paul, remember the poor. Remember the cost. And did you know the early church, they used to travel around because in the Roman Empire, children, babies were being abandoned in garbage dumps. And the early church would literally patrol the garbage dumps and find the abandoned babies and adopt them. And raise them up to become disciples of Jesus. So it's, it's one thing to preach radical embrace, but are we willing to live it? Are we willing to walk it? Because that's what they're calling Paul to here. And he said, I was very eager to do that. And we know that he took a number of big collections, didn't he, for the, uh, for the people in Jerusalem. And, and he actually carried the offering himself. So the application is this. Number one, grace goes beyond our natural human grain. When I lived in England in the early 90s and late 80s, I used to see these stores with a big sign on it that said DIY. Does anybody know what that means? Do it yourself. And they were stores where you could go in and, and buy stuff and they would give you kind of some instructions, but a lot of the work you had to do yourself. And so there is something in our human nature that prefers our own salvation project. Do it ourselves, be in control, then we get the credit for it. Secondly, there's this sense that these unruly galls, or these unruly drug addicts, or these unruly gays, or these unruly whoever it is you put the category in, they're, they're going to need more than grace. They're going to need some discipline. We're going to have to sort them out. Right? Now there's a there's a remarkable story, I think, an illustration of this in our city this week. And uh, this is Tim Jones. Uh, there was a massive funeral for him yesterday on the North Shore. And it's, it's quite ironic that CBC did a documentary on him a week before he died. It's just timing was unbelievable. They showed it on Doc Zone, I think. And now it's, it's available on the website. You can see this. It's a I didn't see the documentary, but I listened to the audio version on the, on, the, on the radio, and I was struck by some things. Number one, I've heard about the North Shore Rescue Team all my life, living in Vancouver. I didn't know that everything was volunteer. They don't get paid a dime for this. And we all know about the costly rescues that go on all the time. This guy would volunteer up to 40 hours a week. He's a paramedic, an ambulance driver. He would, he would volunteer up to 40 hours. Now, I don't know about you, but 40 hours is kind of a full-time, like, regular job. 40 hours volunteer. Mm -hmm. 
Sometimes the calls would come when they were, he was tucking his children into bed at night. Sometimes the calls would come in the middle of the night. Sometimes the calls would come while they were having Christmas dinner or Father's Day. The calls would come. And he'd drop everything and go. What about the equipment? They had to raise the money themselves. They had to do all the fundraising to get the helicopters and the equipment. And yesterday there was a massive public parade for him that they say in the news today was reserved usually for heads of state when they die. Massive funeral on the North Shore. But here's what struck me as I listened to the documentary about him a couple weeks ago. And this was before he even died. I didn't even know he was going to die. I'm listening to this documentary. Here's what they said. They never ask the question when they get a distress call as to whether or not the person went out of bounds. They never ask the question, did the person do something stupid? That is not on the table. And what I, as I listened to the interview with him, he said, the moment you do that, you start down a slippery slope of moral confusion. If a person's in trouble, they're in trouble. What was interesting to me is that we always hear about the snowboarder that went out of bounds or... Did you know that that's a very small percentage? He said usually somebody twists their ankle or they innocently get lost on a walk, on a hiker or a jogger. But he said we don't, we don't ask the question about whether or not the person did something wrong. We just go. And guess what the song they played at the end of his funeral to the bagpipes was? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So, dear brothers and sisters, I want to challenge us. Let us fight for the good news. Fight for it. You know, the, every church is like ours. There's no church that's different than ours in terms of needing volunteers to get stuff done. The biggest churches in the world have shortages of volunteers. I've been there. I know. And I will fight to make sure that our call for volunteers is always an invitation and a privilege, not an obligation and a should. Because the moment you do that, you just open the door to that slippery slope and it just gets really ugly, what the Bible calls biting and devouring one another. And we start comparing ourselves. Well, I'm dedicated, what about you? And we become like those guys that are hired by Jesus at 6 o'clock in the morning and we're offered 500 bucks a day, and you go, we go, woohoo! And then the guys at 9 o'clock are hired, and they're and, and, and at 12 o'clock, and 3 o'clock, and, and 4 o'clock, and then the guys that, that worked one hour, they're called in and paid first 500 bucks. Now, was the guy being unfair to the other people at work? No. $500 was a good wage for the day. But the problem was he was so kind to the undeserving. He was so good to these jerks who just sat around on their bum all day. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We have to fight for the good news. It has to be by invitation and privilege. And the moment we lose that language in our culture, we're dead. We're a religious, comparing, competing moralizing community that has lost sight of God's radical embrace. Now, do I believe in serving? Absolutely. I believe that serving is the culture of the kingdom of God, and that's how we learn rulership. Absolutely. I think Paul, one thing I didn't say was that when Paul, after he spent time with Peter, do you know what he did? He went back to Tarsus. Do you know how many years he was in Tarsus? Hidden. Nobody knew where he was. Ten years. You know what he did there? He ran the soundboard at his church. He led a home group. He probably served the kids. He learned what life and community was like. He learned to serve. Because if you can't do missions at home, you can't do it anywhere. Right? So he learned. So it's important. I'm not saying it is important, but let's make sure that our language is in line with the good news, in line with the grace of God. Make sense? All right, so let's conclude.
Grace goes against our grain. It's offensive to others when we resist it in our own lives. It's, or sorry, it's offensive in others when we see God being gracious to the guys that hired it for. So we must always contend for the good news in our lives, church, family, and world. And, and I have to contend for it. In, you know where I have to contend for the good news the most? No, that's the least of my worries. Right here. This is where legalism gets in. This is where I'll walk into a room like I did 7 o'clock on Friday morning, full of professionals, healthcare people, clergy. And I'm watching this guy who's about half my age, and he's got several PhDs. He's, he's a Jesuit priest, and he's also got a PhD in genetics. And all of a sudden, something happens in me where I go, I suck. You know what I mean? Does that ever happen to you? No, it doesn't happen. And you know what that is? That's those guys spying in, trying to make me a slave again. Trying to get me to base my value on how big my church is or how successful I've been. That is not the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom. And the moment we slip in there, we're dead. We're dead. Because we stop receiving God's radical embrace for us and then we stop giving it. We can't be welcoming because we're, we suck. I don't suck. I'm a child of God. God loves me. He thinks I'm just, woo! And he thinks that about you too. So, the message of the good news is the truth about what, who we are and what we have through what God has done for us in Christ. It frees us from the futile efforts of trying to become who we already are and trying to obtain what we already have, whether through self-righteousness or unrighteousness. So let's pray. There's some questions there that you can reflect personally. Where do I find it difficult to extend grace to myself? As a church family, discuss the point on welcome. How is your serve when it comes to welcome? Your body language. And what categories of people in the world and culture? Ethnic, gender, social, political, do I find it difficult to extend grace to? In other words, unmerited love, kindness, and generosity. Is there a cost? There was a cost for the Jewish Christians to say, I embrace you, my brother, my sister, as a fellow heir and a member of the same body. There's a cost to that. Are we willing to count that cost and extend grace to the undeserving? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And I particularly want to focus right now on I just feel the Lord's really putting his finger on those of us who are our own worst enemy when it comes to the legalists. We're the legalist to ourselves. There's a uh, scripture we're all familiar with that talks about if you do not forgive people their sins, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you your sins. We all know that. We've all heard that. But here's what I hear the Lord saying. What I have cleansed, don't call unclean. In other words, can you forgive yourself? That's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. What I've cleansed, don't call unclean. Can you forgive yourself? You say, well, for what, Gordy? Just not, you know, how many know it doesn't take long in life to figure out you're just not living up to your own ideals and things kind of go sideways and mistakes are made? And Can you forgive yourself? Can you receive his word to you today, what I've cleansed? And if that applies to you, could you just stand up right now? I just feel like the Lord is just going to, there was something broke in as we worshiped. And I just feel that this is just something the Lord is just doing right now. And I, I, 
I say the kingdom of God is not word, but it's power. The word is power. And I just feel like God's going to break some stuff off this morning. What I have cleansed, do not call unclean. What I've said is forgiven and accepted. Do not say, I am second class. I'm marginalized. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. I'm just going to invite just those who sense the Lord on you, just to bless what God is doing right now. If you're still seated and you feel free to do this, just I want you to just lay your hand gently on someone or bless them, those who have stood. I want us to, as a body, just to release this word. In Jesus' name, Monica, I just break off that spirit of second class, that lie that has come against you. In the name of Jesus, we declare that you are not a foreigner and not a stranger, but a fellow citizen with the saints, the righteousness of God, worthy of honor and glory and blessing and love, cherished by the Father. Holy Spirit, come right now. Just envelop her, Lord. Just lift her her hands, Lord. Lift her arms, Jesus. Lord, we just lift her before you. We lift our sister. We say she's royalty, destined for glory, beyond comprehension. Let it come, Lord. Just let it come. The Lord told me today to bind the strong man so we can plunder his goods. And so I bind the strong man that has kept people captive. And you are his spoils. You are God's spoils. We're going to spoil the goods today. We're going to say you belong to your Father. You belong to God. You are worthy of blessing. You are worthy of embrace. You are worthy of welcome. Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit. Those lies that say I'm not educated enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I've made dumb choices. We break it off. We break it off. We break it off in Jesus' name. I loved Erica's testimony last Sunday where she talked about how that she struggled feeling like God was judging her for her sin with the cancer and how it was, the, it was actually overcoming that lie that I believe released the, 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 the remission that happened. Do you get it? It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Your best days are yet ahead. We're just continuing last week's theme. Your best days are yet ahead. Jesus' name. Yesterday, I wanted to move a tree in my yard, a shrub for my front yard. Don't stop praying, don't stop praying, keep listening, keep listening, keep listening. Okay, I wanted to move this tree and I wanted to do it by myself. And I was digging up the roots and I had my son packs with me in the front yard. And the roots of this tree, it was a little shrub on the outside. It was about this big. It was a little shrub. And as I dug, the roots were so thick, they went under the steps. And I had to go to my next door neighbor, Mark, and said, do you have an axe? Do you have a hatchet? And he said, I do. So I went and got a hatchet. And I started cutting the roots of this tree. Mm-hmm. And as, as soon as I laid the ax to the root, God spoke to me and said, this is for tomorrow. There's something in this that is going to be for a word that's going to come tomorrow. And today, this morning, as I was praying about this morning's service, let's get in the shower. God, is there anything you want to say today? Lord said, remember the roots. Remember the ax to the roots. It wasn't until right now that I realized the significance of the fact that I had to go to my next door neighbor to get the axe. That I had to go to my brother. We share a big house. They have, they have their house on one side. We have the house on the other side. And it, I felt like God said, it's significant that we're ministering to each other right now. And I thought, but that big root's still there. The root's in the ground. It's going under the house. I can't possibly get this root out. And I felt like God said, who cares? I'm not interested in that thing that's been left behind. Where's the tree? You moved the tree. The tree's gone. The tree's got all the roots it's needed. It's done. It's free. 
So right now, receive that. Receive that prayer. Receive that. What Gordy's saying, that grace, that grace, it's already there. But it's as we come to each other and say, I'm going to cut it off in Jesus' name. I'm going to do this. It's going to be broken. It's going to be broken. It's what you already have. It's what you already are. You've already got everything you need. Who cares what's left behind? It's broken off of you. It's not, it's not attached to you anymore. So in Jesus' name, and so I just say again, if you are at this point where you're suddenly like, shoot, I wish I was standing up. Stand up now. It's not too late. (laughs) Stand up now and let your brother or your sister come to you. Or stand up again. If you stood up and then you sat down, stand up again if you're not done. We borrow our neighbor's axe. We borrow the strength from each other to cut that root, to cut. Those, there, were, there were two huge ones and two small ones to cut that free so that we can go where we need to go to make room for new life. In Jesus' name. Uh, Barry, I think that's uh, uh, you know, a prophetic word for the vineyard too. Like Barry's going to be tonight with Carl, who is uh, getting ready to take some training to church plan. He's our brother in Surrey in the vineyard. And uh, obviously, God is interconnecting the vineyard, and not just the vineyard with the vineyard, but with the body of Christ. Gordy represents for the vineyard across Canada to all the evangelical churches. But I just feel like, you know, you guys should really be praying for that. And I, I was praying for Carl. You know, he's getting training for for this C2C resources, and just you know, the enemy is just trying to block resources, and we just have to fight for resources in prayer. You know, whether it's for lower posts or whether it's for our own, our own lives, for jobs, for resources. The enemy is trying to kick, 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 can't even talk, kick people out of Vancouver because they don't have proper homes to live in. We just have to somehow just, we're going to rally, we're going to believe. This is a great word she's released, and I think it goes beyond just personally. I think it's, it's the whole thing to do with extending the kingdom, uh, church to church. Finding ways to resource one another. Like you guys, we just bless you guys. We bless you for coming to, to be with us today. And we just bless you to be ambassadors for Carl, for the Surrey Vineyard. We just bless that. Why don't we all stand together now? I'm going to bless you guys to... Uh, Pray for each other. Uh, there's no rush to leave. We can. I, I would encourage prayer to continue. Just soak in prayer. I know that we need to release some of you to go uh, get your children and and uh, and thank our our kids workers today who work so hard. And um, I just feel like I want to pray with some people to introduce you to Jesus today. So if you're here and you you know you 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 may heard about him, or you believe in him or whatever, but you're not. Or maybe you're not sure you believe, but you're open. I just feel like he wants to just show you his presence and power today. So I'd be willing to pray for you. I know there's others here, maybe a friend you came with. Just just uh, get some prayer for that. Uh, maybe I'll get um, Carolyn. If you could come on down, Carolyn. I'm just going to invite some people to come and just rally and pray around her. Bless her. We're going to pray for Devin as well, her son, just for continued healing um, for his concussion head injury. So let me just bless you. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that, as Paul said to the Thessalonians, that, that this message would resound, Lord, out to our neighborhoods, our city, our communities. Lord, that we would be people that live and act according to the good news, and that that good news would just really get root in ourselves and cut off those roots that Joanna was talking about. Uh, of legalism and shame and, and uh, the lies of inferiority that the enemy just puts on us. We, we receive, Lord, the grace, the embrace that you give us, Lord. Help us to posture ourselves, Lord, in the body language of welcome, in the body language of embrace. Protect us from legalism, pecking orders, Lord, and may we always be those little children that, that you are delighted to reveal yourself to. 
because we stay in that place. And so in light of that, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Uh, Just invite some folks to come and help me pray for Carolyn. And let's gather around her and bless her as she's been a blessing to us.